All right, we're back to 1 Peter 3. We're still on verse 7. And we're going to try to finish this today. <laughs> try to finish up with the husbands. We could obviously spend weeks and weeks just on this subject of marriage, so we're not going to be able to cover all the little intricacies and nuances, but hopefully just some basic fundamental principles that will help everyone in their marriages and help those who are not married making right choices and right decisions. We've already covered for several weeks the, the role of the wives in the marriage. And some people even bristle when they hear the word role. But you know, we do. We have various roles that we play in life. Just like people in motion pictures and TV and plays, and they're playing roles. We know they're, they're not real. They're acting. But in life, we have roles. Just like your boss at work has a role. Uh, you as an employee have a role, or maybe you are the boss. But there are certain words that seems like people kind of bristle, especially when it comes to marriage, and you hear about the role of the woman and the role of the man. But there's nothing wrong with that. Because when each person does their part, whether it's in a play or a movie or a TV program, or in real life, when everybody plays their part, if you will, then everything works out. Can you imagine what it would be like if uh, you went to see a play and everybody was trying to play the same part? That'd be pretty weird, wouldn't it? It wouldn't work. You've got to have, you know, Rhett Butler and Scarlett O'Hara and, you know, Mammy and all the different people playing their parts in, in order for the story to come together and to flow. Uh, just like at work, if everybody was trying to be the boss or the military, you've got different ranks in the military and people work hard and they work their way up the ranks and they achieve levels of uh, authority and responsibility. And so the way, if the military is going to function properly, each person has to perform according to their level and their role. Now in marriage, we're not talking about any form of superiority or inferiority, but nonetheless, God is the one who created marriage, established marriage, and He created us different, man and woman. Again, that's what makes marriage fun, exciting, interesting. We're different. Sometimes it can be very interesting and very exciting, right? But if we were the same, that would be pretty boring. So anyway, 1 Peter 3, 7, Husbands, likewise dwell with them, your wives, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. We read a large portion of Ephesians 5 last week. I'm going to just read verses 25 through 29 again. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. So we're, Paul's analogy, marriage, husband to the wife, is like Christ to the church. The only difference is Jesus is perfect and we husbands aren't. Ladies, please keep that in mind. Okay, verse 27, that he might present her to himself a glorious church. So Paul, he goes back and forth in this passage between earthly marriage and the relationship between Christ the bridegroom, and the church, the bride of Christ. He might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, 
but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands, then he goes back, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. So as we pointed out last week, and again, we struggle so much as believers because we are looking through the wrong filters, the wrong lenses. As we go through life, we have a tendency to look at everything through the here and the now, the temporary versus the eternal. We look at the temporal, the physical, rather than the spiritual. And I think Jesus sums it up in Matthew 7 where he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. But we're often focused on all these things. And therefore, we don't have a perspective on the eternal kingdom of God. Well, it's even true in marriage because God's ultimate purpose in marriage, yes, he did create marriage for mutual benefit, blessing, fulfillment. He said it's not good for the man to be alone. He created the woman brought Eve to Adam. But in the New Testament in particular, we have revealed to us the higher purpose and the higher calling in marriage, which is ultimately to be a mirror image of our relationship with Christ. God's ultimate purpose in marriage is to show the world what intimacy with Him looks like. Yet how often do we really think about that? I think it would make a big difference and how we treat our spouses if we were more cognizant, more conscious, more aware of the fact that, wait a minute, God has blessed us to be together, to have a home, a life, build a life together. But there's a bigger, higher calling, and that is that our marriage is supposed to be a reflection of our relationship with Christ. I don't think most believers, most of the time, are really thinking about that, and yet that's the truth of the matter. So, last week we, we talked about the husband is placed in that position, likewise dwell with him in understanding. He is to be the head of the home, but he's not to use that position as the leader and the head to be abusive. In fact, it's the opposite. It gives we men the responsibility to take care of and protect our wives Matthew 20, 25, 26, Jesus says, Don't be like the Gentile rulers or leaders who, who rule over, uh, lord over those under them. Verse 26, Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And so Jesus was the example, our role model of a servant leader, getting down on his hands and knees and washing the disciples' feet. Dwelling with our wives, not just cohabitating or living like roommates, but just as we are to dwell with Christ, abide in Christ, have a personal, intimate relationship, our intimacy with our wives is to mirror that intimacy that we have with Christ. And if we don't have intimacy with Christ, that will be reflected in our marriage as well. And then we talked about, I think we got as far as talking about with understanding, which literally means according to knowledge. And so what does that tell us, guys? It tells us to to dwell with our wives with understanding, it's going to require some effort, some hard work, according to knowledge. And yet, most of us, I think, 
probably men and women, enter marriage pretty much clueless about the opposite sex. But we're to dwell with understanding. We have to make an effort. We have to work hard. Uh, It's an ongoing learning process. You remember that book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus? There's a reason that was written. In other words, we're so different. It's like we're from two different planets. And, you know, there are a lot of resources out there, of course, but our best resources for understanding our wives or our, our ladies, understanding your husband, our best resource sources are the Holy Spirit and God's Word. Being filled with the Spirit, we have access to heavenly wisdom. James talks about the fact that earthly wisdom is demonic. We need heavenly wisdom. We need God's wisdom. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and we need to be in the Scriptures because they have the answers to every issue of life. And they're much more helpful than all the secular psychological mumbo-jumbo floating around everywhere. Verse 28 of Ephesians 5, Husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now, in case you're wondering, the Greek word here for love in Ephesians 5 is agapon, which is a derivative of agape. I think we all know what agape is, right? Agape is unconditional love. It's the highest form of love. It's the kind of love that Christ displayed for us on the cross. And Paul is telling the Ephesian husbands to agape their wives as themselves, as their own bodies. The way that Jesus loved us, what did He do? He laid down His life for us. He died for us. And for us guys, that means dying to self, putting her first. Down through the centuries, many believers have died a martyr's death. They've given their lives for Christ. It's happening right now in various parts of the world. But Jesus didn't mean, when he said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, that didn't mean that every single believer would die a martyr's death. But it did mean that every single believer is expected by Christ to die to self. That is the cross of Christ. Yes, he suffered tremendously physically. He suffered emotionally, spiritually. But the cross of Christ is the cross of self-denial. Father, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. It's turning from a life of selfishness to a life of selflessness. And no place in our lives is it more important than in our marriages. Husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. Let's be honest, guys. We do absolutely love ourselves unconditionally, don't we? Do you ever look in the mirror and say, you know what? I do not like the way you behave today. I'm not going to feed you dinner. (laughs) You ever done that? I doubt it. We take good care of ourselves, don't we? And Paul says we're to love our wives as we love our own bodies, not withholding anything from them. In fact, if we treated our wives the way we treat ourselves, everything would be hunky-dory, wouldn't it? How often have we told the wife, sorry, honey, we can't afford that, and then we go out and get something for ourselves, right? 
5.29 of Ephesians, for no one ever hated his own flesh. Again, we know that there are some who have emotional issues, mental issues, spiritual issues. We have, we do un- unfortunately have suicide as a, as a major issue in our society today. But by and large, under normal circumstances, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. So what is Paul telling these husbands here? And God is speaking through Paul. He's exhorting us to nourish and cherish our wives just as he nourishes and cherishes his bride, the church. How does he do this? First of all, he feeds our spirits with his word. The word of God is our spiritual food. Secondly, he comforts, encourages, and guides us with his spirit. Thirdly, he values or cherishes us so highly that he sent his only son to die on the cross for us. These are the things that God does to nourish and cherish his bride. And so this should be our guide in how we treat our wives. Verse 26 of Ephesians 5, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. So even as Jesus washes his bride with his word we are his bride we're to minister to our wives sanctifying and cleansing them with god's word and so this is a very convicting passage isn't it our wives spiritual well-being is our responsibility as well as their physical well-being and their emotional well-being there's a, there's an old expression a good husband makes a good wife. And again, it can work both ways. There's the universal spiritual law of sowing and reaping. Galatians chapter 6. Whatsoever a man or woman soweth, that shall he also reap. We sow good seed into the lives of our husbands, our wives, and other people near and dear to us It'll bring forth good fruit. Now we have to know when you plant a seed, you don't plant it one day and then wake up the next day and you already have a plant, right? It takes time. There's a process. Sadly, sometimes, probably far too often, people may start out planting good seed, but the results don't come quickly enough and so they give up. That's why Paul says in Galatians 6, if we don't grow weary in well-doing, In due season, we will reap a harvest. So there's perseverance required. And I know of cases where husbands or wives have persevered for a lifetime, 40, 50 years of marriage, and didn't see that other person come to Christ until almost the very end. So it takes time. And some seeds take longer to grow and mature than others. So next, he says, giving honor to the wife. Back here in 1 Peter 3, 7. The Greek word is timon, honor. And it's a term used to describe the value of a precious stone. Giving honor, timon. The same honor that you would give to a 
precious diamond, ruby, emerald. You guard it. You protect it. You treasure it. And that's how husbands are to treat their wives. And it's interesting. I don't know. It's been quite a few months, maybe a year more. I don't know how long that the Holy Spirit started putting it on my heart to pray for my married children. And a lot of the things that we're seeing here, I had not been reading through First Peter at the time, but or Ephesians 5, but the Lord just put it on my heart to start praying for them that they would treasure one another, cherish one another, appreciate one another, and so forth. And that's exactly what the Scriptures teach that we are to do. And you see, it's not a feeling or an emotion. It's a choice. It's decision. To cherish them, to treasure them, to appreciate them. And when we make a conscious effort to do that, it's going to affect the way we treat each other, isn't it? Proverbs 31.10 Who can find a virtuous wife? Well, that's interesting. Written thousands of years ago. One might have thought that in ancient times, virtuous wives were a dime a dozen. But apparently not. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. Oftentimes it's sad that we tend to focus on the negative qualities of our spouses, right? But it would really be helpful if we would spend more time focusing on their good qualities. You might even if you have to work a little hard to find them. But the more we can remind ourselves of the good qualities, the virtues that they have, the more we can appreciate them, and the more that we appreciate them and treasure them and cherish them, I think it's going to bear good fruit in their life and in our marriage. Honor to the wife, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. And this this really where uh, a lot of ladies freak out when they read this, but it doesn't mean what you think it means. Women are more fragile and delicate when it comes to their physical makeup. I know, again, we live in a day and age where there's an, there's an all-out war on gender and an attempt to blur the lines, to make men like women and women like men and create a genderless society. But that's not the way God made us. And I hate to always be ragging on the public school system. But this is one of the primary places where this is happening. And you've got schools teaching children as young as five years old about homosexuality and transgenderism. And just creating mass confusion. There was a little girl recently who got in trouble, a kindergartner, because one of her classmates started the year as a boy. And during the course of the year, he decided he was going to become a girl with the support of his parents. The little girl didn't realize that he was in transition. And she referred to him as a boy and she got sent to the principal's office. Satan is hard at work trying to totally confuse people today. And if you haven't noticed, he's doing a pretty good job. But the way God has made women, again, because of the role that they're to play, 
historically, traditionally, biblically, women have always been the the creators of beauty. For the most part, you find that uh, women are the ones who have the knack for decorating in the home, making things look nice, keeping things looking nice. And that is not something to be embarrassed about or to be ashamed of. Being creative. Having a, an eye and a flair for beauty. Women have been the ones to nurture and nourish. Where men have been the fighters, traditionally, historically, biblically, the protectors. And by and large, men tend to be larger, stronger, and more suited to that role. It doesn't make one gender better than the other. It simply means, you know, you're not going to take your Ferrari out and go four-wheeling. For one thing, Ferraris are not four-wheel drive, and for another, they're not made for off-road use, and you could take a $150,000 Ferrari out on off the road and destroy it and nothing flat. And yet, which one's more valuable, a $50,000 four-wheel drive Jeep or a $150,000 Ferrari. That Ferrari, you keep it in the garage, you keep it cleaned and polished it, you just go out and kind of look at it, right? And enjoy it. But you're very careful about how you use it, how you drive it. It's more fragile. But it's not inferior by any stretch of the imagination. And because of the fact that women are created to be nurturers, creators of beauty. I mean, most of the time, when kids get hurt, who do they call for? Who do they run to? Mom, right? Because dad's going to go, get over it. (laughs) Wipe it off. If it's detached, stick it back on. (laughs) The mom is going to love and nurture And we all need that. We know what happens to kids who grow up without that. And we also know what happens to kids who grow up without the firm hand of a father. You see how we need both? That's the way God created. That's His order for the family. And yet, in many, many cases today, kids aren't getting that. And we see the negative fruit of that in our world. But yet, if we're going to try to make women like men and men like women... The kids aren't going to get either side. They're not going to get what they need from the mom. They're not going to get what they need from the dad because moms aren't moms anymore and dads aren't dads anymore. In fact, there are some who say we shouldn't use those terms because it's hurtful to those who don't have a mom or don't have a dad, so we're just not going to say mom or dad anymore. Have you heard about that? That's a real thing. Sounds insane, doesn't it? I told you a few weeks ago, we've crossed over from the age of deception, coined a term coined by Chuck Missler, we've, we've crossed over to the age of insanity. But what is going to protect us from going insane? The Word of God, the Spirit of God, our relationship with God, He gives us a sound mind. So if you want to have a sound mind, then you need to stick with God. You need to stick in his, stay in His Word. There's no way that uh, you can look at this as something negative when, when Peter says, giving honor, a term used to describe the value of a precious stone, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. 
On the one hand, he's saying giving her honor. He's saying she's weaker, but he doesn't mean inferior. He means more fragile, more in need of being protected and guarded. I can, I can take in all the news and information and, and scriptures about the last days and stuff, and it doesn't faze me. My wife tends to get stressed out. Any of you ladies know what I'm talking about? Ladies in general seem to get a little bit stressed out if we spend too much time talking about the end times. I'm sorry. <laughs> but that's in my heart to talk about. But I understand that it's, it's stressful for women. In order for women to be who God made them to be, they have to have a much broader emotional spectrum. And that's where we dwell with them in understanding. Because they have greater highs, greater lows. They have hormones. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You know? Honey, are you excited? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Honey, are you mad? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Men don't have that, tend to have so much of that broad emotional spectrum. We're just not as sensitive. And again, we need that sensitivity. But again, we have roles that God has created for us. And when everybody's doing their part, the family functions properly. Our society functions properly. But see, now we're the secular world, the unbelieving world, the world that is controlled by the prince of the power of the air, the prince of darkness, is flipping, flip-flopping everything. And then things don't work so well. A vessel, by the way, is a container. A container for what? Both husbands and wives are to be vessels or containers for the Spirit of God. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, human beings, physical bodies, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. What is the treasure? In verse 6 it tells us it's the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. God places within us earthen vessels, imperfect, flawed, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. And so both men and women are to be vessels of the light, of the knowledge, of the glory of God. And so when Peter says, honor her as the weaker vessel, he's saying, guard her, protect her, because she is a container for the Spirit of God, just like you are. And it's your job to watch over her and to protect her. And this is confirmed by what Peter says next, as being heirs together of the grace of life. Men and women both have the same inheritance in Christ, the grace of life. And so Peter clarifies the spiritual equality between husband and wife. Being more fragile does not make them inferior spiritually or intellectually. We know that intelligence has nothing to do with gender. And in fact, if we wanted to make an issue out of that, I don't even want to go there. Because in many cases, 
Um, I'm, I'm just not going to go there. <laughs> Galatians 3.28 There is neither Jew nor Greek. So I know it's becoming increasingly popular for Christians to pursue their Hebrew roots and so forth. Nothing wrong with that. We have a lot to learn from the Old Testament. We do practice a Judeo-Christian faith. But Paul makes it clear that being a Jew will not save you. It's being a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, whether you're Jew or Gentile, Jew or Greek. All ethnic lines are erased in Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. In other words, the, the free men, which in Christ's day was quite common, and in Paul's day, uh, slavery was quite common. But he's saying that the free man has no advantage over the slave. Because you can be free in that regard and be totally in bondage to sin. Or you could be a slave, like somebody who's incarcerated in the Bernalillo County Jail or in one of the other facilities around the state and yet we know that many men in those places and women come to christ we talk about negative circumstances being used by god for the good god gets you where you can't get away you become a captive audience you know there's been many wonderful testimonies we had a guy many years ago speak in the church bob Erler, the catch me killer he was a cop down in florida many years ago and he just had an emotional breakdown and he shot this lady and her daughter and he was on the run he was captured he was incarcerated and and he met another guy who had been a famous jewel thief murph the surf and murph the surf got saved in prison started a prison ministry bob Erler came under his ministry and got saved and this guy was a martial arts expert it's a cool story there's a book if you can find it called the catch me killer i don't know if it's still in print but there are numerous stories we know that there have been at least a couple members of the charlie manson gang that got saved behind bars people are very skeptical of these jailhouse conversions i'm not skeptical at all because god gets you as a captive audience and these people are in the worst of circumstances and they come to christ and i think it's a wonderful thing we know Prison Fellowship, Charles Colson, who passed away a while back, who was involved in the Nixon-Watergate scandal. Charles Colson was incarcerated for his part in the Watergate cover-up. Lawyer, professional, got saved behind bars. When he got out, he spent the rest of his life with the Prison Fellowship ministering to other men who were incarcerated. I haven't seen statistics on this, but I would be suspecting that there's a higher conversion rate of people behind bars than there is out on the street. So there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, and neither male nor female. God is colorblind, you could say, and He's also gender blind. He does not see men as superior to women. He does not see women as superior to men. You are all one in Christ Jesus. So, again, this helps us understand what Peter's talking about. Okay, if there's neither male nor female, then why does Peter say the things that he says? Because within the framework and the context of marriage, God has given men certain qualities, characteristics, and responsibilities, 
and he's given women certain qualities, characteristics, and responsibilities. Now, you say, well, what if I'm not married? Well, according to Paul, you're better off. <laughs> but we weren't really created. It's a natural, normal desire, God-given desire to have a helpmeet. Jesus said some people become celibate for the kingdom of God. We know within the Catholic Church it's a requirement. And that's not really such a good idea. But if God calls someone to live a life of celibacy, a life of singleness, Paul says, hey, go for it because you're more free to serve God. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You're not encumbered or hindered by having to consider the needs of another person. Now, for the vast majority of people, that's not going to be the case. We know that Paul, we don't know, he was probably previously married. We don't know if his wife died. We don't know if she abandoned him when he became a Christian. But he definitely, throughout his ministry as an apostle, was a single man. That would be a whole other study in 1 Corinthians 7. You might want to spend some time in there. Another good passage on marriage. Okay. Giving honor to the wife as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. This is an interesting statement by Peter here, guys. So what is Peter telling us? If we don't treat our wives the way God would have us to treat them, then it could have a negative impact on our prayer life. The Greek word here, hindered, can be rendered cut off. It's kind of like God saying, talk to the hand. I see how you're treating your wife, buddy. Talk to the hand. That your prayers may not be hindered. Now, that could be a result of, of you feeling guilty, knowing that you're not treating your wife the way you should. And therefore, you're not praying the way you should. But it seems to indicate God's saying He's not going to listen to a man who doesn't treat his wife properly. So it seems as though God is saying, until you, men, unless and until you treat your wife right, don't bother to call me because I won't pick up the phone. Anybody, any man who mistreats my daughter isn't worth my time. Wouldn't we as earthly fathers say that? If it was your daughter and, and her husband was mistreating her? I'm not putting up with this, buddy. That's the same way with God. Wow, guys, are you getting convicted enough? And ladies, we, we just ask for your love, grace, mercy, patience, and understanding because we are flawed, imperfect. I'm not trying to make excuses. We both have our challenges. It's a challenge for the women to submit to a guy who many times doesn't seem like he deserves to be submitted to. And it's a challenge for us guys to be like Jesus and to lay down our lives, crucifying our flesh, dying to self. It kind of really makes us aware of how desperately we need God every day of our lives, right? how desperately we need Jesus Christ. Because there's no way we can possibly, men or women, be and do what God's called us to without the power of His Holy Spirit and the power of His Word at work in our lives. 
1 Peter 3.12 says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So again, the righteousness that we have comes from Christ. We have no righteousness of our own, but as we daily submit ourselves to God, yield our lives over to the Lord Jesus Christ, practicing confession of sin, repentance, then he does see us as righteous. And so that would include confession of sin towards our wives, repenting, asking their forgiveness and God's forgiveness, that we can maintain that righteous status before the Lord. And his ears are open to the prayers of the righteous. Psalms, this is taken from Psalms 34, 15, 16. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. Wow. So these, it's, it's quite possible that there is no other portion of Scripture that so strongly makes the case for how desperately we need daily to come before the Lord, confessing our sins, repenting. And in the book of James, chapter 5, it says, confess your sins one to another that you might be healed. And so, in a really open, honest marriage relationship, and that's a whole other topic, we need to be able and willing to confess our sins to one another in that marriage relationship. And so it's incumbent upon both parties to create an environment where the husband or the wife feels comfortable doing that. Just like in church. You need to feel comfortable not just spilling your guts to anybody and everybody, but as we develop friendships and relationships in the church, certainly uh, with the pastors and leaders in the church, you should be able to come, confess your sins, not like a priest, but... There are times when it's important and it's appropriate to do that. Confess your sins one to another that you, sin, that, you, that you might be healed. Yes, confessing before God first and foremost. And we don't need a human mediator. Christ is our mediator. But the Bible does speak of that. And so there are times when we need to tell somebody who more so than our own spouse. Martin Luther had some good comments on marriage. He said, married folk are not to act as they now usually do. The men are almost lions in their homes, hard toward their wives and servants. The women, too, everywhere want to domineer and have their husbands as servants. It is foolish for a man to want to demonstrate his masculine power and heroic strength by ruling over his wife. On the other hand, the ambition of wives to dominate the home is also intolerable. I think Luther covers it pretty well. He strikes a pretty good balance there. It's also been said a happy marriage is the union between two good forgivers. You know, that's one of the major problems in many marriage relationships and relationships in general. Unforgiveness. We're called upon by the Lord to forgive And you know what? This might sound a little weird. But even if the other p person is not displaying 
true repentance, even if the other person has not asked for your forgiveness, in order to keep your heart right and your heart pure before the Lord, what did Jesus say when he was hanging on the cross? Did any of those soldiers look up at Jesus and say, Lord, I'm really sorry for that I crucified you? No. They were down there casting lots for his garments, right? They were having a good old time. But what did Jesus do? He looked down and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see, sometimes people know not what they do, but yet we still have a responsibility as followers of Christ to forgive. Because if we don't, bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness, these things well up in our hearts and minds and it poisons us. You've ever heard that old expression, cutting off your nose to spite your face? When we harbor unforgiveness, that's what we're doing. We think, ah, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to get them one of these days. This isn't over yet. Vengeance is mine, saith the gear. No, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. See, God is the only one worthy of exacting vengeance on anybody because he's the only one who's perfect. What did Jesus say to those Pharisees who were condemning the woman caught in adultery? He says, okay, they all had their rocks. They were ready to stone her and they were trying to trap Jesus. And Jesus says, okay, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. What happened? They all threw down their stones and walked away because they knew that they all had sins of their own. So forgiveness. A happy marriage is the union of two good forgivers. Not two perfect people. Not two people who see eye to eye on everything. Not two people who like all the same things. But two people who are good forgivers. You see, God created man, right? Then he created woman. And then he created marriage. You know, it doesn't matter what it is, if it's, whether it's a human being, automobile, appliance, a computer, a musical instrument, what have you. No one knows better how to keep it functioning properly and performing at its best than the one who created it, right? What if you get a new electronic device or appliance or something and you can't get it to work right? You call the 800 number, right? And you get some, a, a service tech on the line who tells you, okay, unplug it, you know, wait 30 seconds, plug it back in, right? Troubleshooting. You call up somebody who knows more than you. Ultimately, who is it that knows more than us? It's God. And so, God created man, He created woman, He created marriage. So what do we do when we need help? We call on Him. How much more does our Heavenly Father know best how men and women can dwell together in love, peace, harmony, unity, and tranquility. Who are you going to call? Oprah? <laughs> Dr. Phil? Dr. Seuss? Hop on Pop? God knows. He made us. He knows how we function best. He is the builder. He's the maker. He has an 800 number that's open 24 hours a day. When in doubt, and by the way, when in doubt, check the owner's manual. Honey, did you read the instructions? No. Men don't read instructions. 
We don't need no stinking instructions. But we do. Proverbs 18.22, he who finds a wife, the owner's manual, by the way, is the word of God. When in doubt, go to the owner's manual. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us guidance, direction, instruction, wisdom from your word that you have made available to us the power and the strength of your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts, to empower your word that it would actually impact us in a significant way. That it wouldn't just be reading words on a page and having an intellectual encounter with you, but it goes beyond that, that you touch our hearts, our minds, our spirits. And Father, if we will really read your word, study your word, meditate upon your word, take it to heart, you will show us how to be good husbands, to be good wives, how to treat one another properly in order to have healthy, fruitful, fulfilling marriages and families. So I pray for the husbands here today, the wives, and those who aren't married as well. Whatever our station in life is at the moment, Father, help us not to take one more step without seeking your wisdom and guidance without checking the owner's manual, without calling the 800 number. Lord, forgive us for the times when we look to human insight and understanding, secular psychological books and information. Lord, we should be looking to you, and we ask you to help us to do that. And I want to pray for every marriage here today, Lord, that you would just do a mighty work, healing, strengthening, protecting the marriages in our church, the families, Lord, that we could dare to be different, swim upstream, go against the grain of this world. And Lord, just be the men and women of God that you've called us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.